Sun, Book 2, Chapter 10 Enar says I must do this every single day. It strengthens my belly where the scar is. Watch. Alice glanced over from the fire where she was stirring a pot of onion soup. She watched for a moment as Claire, lying on the floor of the hut, wedged her feet under a slab of rock that jutted from the base of the wall, and then lifted the upper half of her body and held herself at a slant, taut for a moment, before she lowered herself slowly back down and took a breath. Surely you didn't show that lad your scar. Of course not, but I told him of it. Claire bit her lip, held her breath, and raised herself once again, then down slowly and again. There, she said, gasping after a few moments. That's ten. He told me to do it ten times every day. Here, have some soup and bread now, Alice told her. I'll start bottling some strengthening brews for you as well. She glanced up at the dried herbs hanging from the beams that supported the hut's roof. Claire could hear her murmuring the names. White willow, nettle, meadow-sweet, golden seal, and knew she was pondering what combinations to create. She had told Alice of her plan. No one else knew. Claire thought of Alice as the calmest person she knew, the person who had seen the worst of things over her long life, who was not surprised or distressed by any of it any more. Claire had watched her stitch the flesh and wrap an astringent poultice around the leg of a small child, gashed by a fall on the slippery rocks, soothing both the terrified mother and the screaming toddler at the same time with her reassuring voice. She had seen her, quiet and commanding, attend the most difficult births, with the babies upside down or sideways and the mum begging for death and the dad puking in the dooryard. Claire had been there at deaths, Andres's mother from fever and cough, a fisherman with his skull crushed by a broken mast, a young boy racked by fits from the day of his birth, finally at five, dead, with foam on his lips and his eyes rolled back to white. Alice attended them, tended their families, weighted the eyelids and folded the arms, then returned to the hut to wash her tools, cook supper, and wait for the next frantic villager who would come to the door begging for help. She'd never seem alarmed, until the day Enar and Claire told her that Claire must climb out. That can't be, she had said loudly, and began to rock back and forth in her chair as if to try to soothe the deep pain. Oh no, Canna, you'll die! She turned to Claire fiercely. You'll die on that cliff. You'll fall and be broken to pieces. I've seen the others who was. And look at him, who was once fleet and sure-footed. Look at him now, ruined by climbing out. I'm sorry, Enar. You're a good lad, and I loved your mum. But you're bloody ruined by that mountain, and I won't have you do it to my girl. It was not the mountain ruined me, Alice, Enar said firmly. Claire, listening, was startled by the sudden sureness of him. He had always been so shy and halting in his speech. But now he spoke with certainty to Alice. I strengthened myself for it and did it. I climbed out. It was after, and I'll teach her of that. But for now I'll make her strong. That's how we're starting, and we need you to help Alice, for she wants her son and must have a way to find him. Boat, Alice wailed. She can go forth on the sea, surely if she must go. No, not by sea I won't. As much as she feared the cliff and the climbing, she must learn to do. Claire feared the sea more. It's winter now, Alice said to them, weakening a bit. Mayhap in spring we can toughen her up. The sun and air, that'll be good for strength. Enar laughed. We'll start now, Alice, he said, and spring will come before we know it. It always does. It did. Spring came. Through all the months of winter she had each day, landed on the hut floor, put her hands behind her head, and raised herself. Her scarred abdomen had become tight and smooth, and she no longer breathed hard at the effort. She told Enar, I'm ready. He laughed. They were standing beside the door of the hut, and he told her to run up the hillside path, up to the waterfall, and back down to where he stood. There was a fine rain falling, and there had been all week. The path was slick with spring mud. Claire made a face. 
It's too slippery. It's smooth and dry, if you think on it compared to the mountain. Yes, well, run up it. Grip with your feet. Claire looked down at her own feet, encased in thick wool socks under her coarse leather sandals. Take them off, Enar said. Claire sighed and obeyed. She pulled her sandals off and the socks. The ground was very cold still. Spring was young and the drizzle was chilly. She wiggled her toes into the cold, wet earth to get the grip and began to run. The path steepened partway up and she slipped, scraping her knee on a rock. She righted herself and now her hands were thick with mud and a red trickle of blood patterned her leg. Catching her breath, she eyed the wet path above, and then she took a breath and continued. Run, Enar had said. She climbed this path often before, but always slowly, placing her feet carefully. Now she ran. She tried to dig her toes into the ground, but they slid and she fell again and righted herself again. By the time she reached the top of the hill and stood by the rushing waterfall, she found herself in tears. She was coated in mud, shaking with cold, and her knee was swollen and sore. From where she stood, she could see him below, looking up, watching her. She hoped he couldn't see her crying. Now down, she heard him call. Sliding part way, grasping tree roots to keep from falling, she stumbled down the treacherous path to the bottom. She wiped her tear-stained face with muddy hands and hurried to where Enar was waiting. Good, he told her. Now do it again. Each day through the summer, she ran the hill path. On fine days, the mist of the falls made rainbows, and she began to smile when she reached that place instead of weeping as she had the first time. It began to feel not easy but doable. She began to come down, grinning and proud. Enar grinned back at her. You're growing strong, he said, then added, for a girl. She glanced at him and saw he was teasing her. His look was fond. He turned away quickly and tried to hide his fondness, but Claire knew. She had seen him look that way at a half-grown lamb prancing in the meadow on a midsummer afternoon, admiring its agile charm. She had seen him look that way at her and knew there was a longing to his gaze. When she felt she had mastered the path, he made it harder. He tied her hands together so that she couldn't use them to steady herself. When the spring moisture had dried, the path became gritty and treacherous in a different way. She couldn't grip it with her toes. When she fell, bruising her shoulder because she couldn't break the fall with her tethered hands, he taunted her. When she wept, he ignored her. She dried her tears and ran. One afternoon, Bryn, her baby in a sling on her chest, stopped by the hut to get a remedy for a spider bite on her ankle. Alice and Claire looked at the hot, swollen sore. Comfrey root oil, Alice told her. I have it in here. Sit while I heat it. Bryn handed little Ellen to Claire. I'll take her outside, Claire said, and she carried the sturdy, curly-haired girl to the doorway to show her some black-eyed Susans in bloom. Enar appeared. He came every day now, if Claire didn't run to the sheep meadow and meet him there. It's Bryn's baby, she told him. Isn't she sweet? She handed a picked flower to Ellen, who grasped it in a fist and waved it in the air. Run with her, Enar said. Claire startled, but she laughed. Then, holding the baby, she ran around the small dooryard. Ellen waved her arms in delight. Let me feel her weight. Enar took the baby from Claire. She could see that he had no experience with a human infant, though he was sure and facile with lambs. She watched as, with his large hands under her, Enar assessed how heavy Ellen was. You must start running with weight, he said, and handed the baby back. I'll bring it tomorrow. The next day he was back with a crude leather sack half filled with rocks. He tied it to Claire's back and told her to run the hill path. She did so and arrived panting at the waterfall. She was tempted to throw a few of the rocks into the rushing torrent to ease the burden for the run back down, but she didn't. She ran with the weight and then ran the path again and found that her breathing changed to accommodate the heaviness. 
After a few runs, the longer breath she needed came naturally, and it was as if she had always carried it. Alice told her that it was the way of woman to tote a newborn and then adjust as it grew until by the time the child was plump and heavy, the weight seemed not. Enar left a pile of rocks beside the base of the path and told her to add one more to the sack each day. Her legs grew muscled and firm. She showed him, one day, how strong and sure they had become. He felt where she showed him, pressing his large hand against the taut, smooth skin above her ankle, and nodded. Then he left his hand there, encircling her leg, and they looked at each other for a moment before he took it away. She felt his fondness again, and her own for him, and the futility of it for them both. She could not stay here. One morning, Enar set a thick log on end. It reached to her knee. "'Step up on that,' he said. She reached for his hand, needing it for support, but he backed away. Claire checked the log to be certain it was firm on the ground. Then she measured the height with her eyes, raised one leg up, placed it on top of the log, shifted her wake, and picked up the other foot. But she lost her balance and fell back. "'Try again.' All afternoon, she stepped onto the log and down to the log. At first, she held her arms wide, using them for balance. Then Enar approached with the coarse rope he had used to restrain her hands on the steep path. Wait, she told him. I don't need my arms tied. Firmly, she held her own hands at her sides. Wobbling at first, she tested herself again and again, until, without moving her arms, she could maintain her balance as she mounted the log. Good, he said. The next day, he brought a higher, narrower log. Winter came. Outdoors, she ran and climbed on ice. He began to teach her to use a rope, to knot it and twirl it and fling it so that it caught on a rock or a branch. At first it caught things at random, then after a bit she found she could aim with the noose of the rope. She could choose a log or a bush and catch it precisely on most of her attempts. Then he made the noose smaller. He directed her to capture smaller things. A seedling pine reaching upward from the crevice, a stone balanced on a tree stump. He took away the thick coarse rope and gave her a thin, woven cord that whistled when she spun it out into the cold air and snapped a twig with its tiny noose. Inside the hut, in a corner that Alice had cleared for her, she walked back and forth on a piece of rope stretched taut between two posts, her toes gripping the rope, her breath even, her eyes focused, her arms at first stretched for balance, and then as spring approached, her hands at her side and her movement steady and controlled. She walked the rope forward and backward. She stood on it still as post. On one leg, then the other. Slowly she bent one knee, lowered herself, remained there poised, then rose again. Yellowwing twittered and pranced on his perch, excited as he watched her. Alice, watching, held her breath and gasped at each new move. But Claire was calm. She felt strong. She felt ready. Now, she asked Enar. Enar shook his head. Next we begin to strengthen your arms, he said. By the following spring, Bryn's baby Ellen was sturdy and walking. Bryn was expecting another and hoped for a boy. Bethan, Delwith, and Ira were tall now, with long legs and secrets that made them whisper and giggle. Most of the village had lost interest in Claire. She was no longer new and mysterious. The scandal of her child was forgotten. There had been more recent disgraces. A woman who took up with her sister's husband, a fisherman who was caught stealing from his own brother, the villagers who took note of Claire's odd new hobby— the hill paths were not visible, and Alice's hut was separate. She continued her everyday chores, helping with the gathering of plants, accompanying Alice to births and deaths. Sometimes Alice sent her alone to tend a simple cough or a fever or rash. The old woman was increasingly bent over, and her walking now was slow. Her eyesight was dimmed. She needed more rest. Claire teased her gently and told her that she should train to climb out. 
Look how strong Enar has made me, she said, and held out her bare arms, tightening the muscles with pride. Each evening, after she cleaned up the hut from dinner and while Alice sat knitting in a rocker, Claire took up her position, lying on her side on a mat near the wall, and breathed deeply. Then, legs straight, she raised her body on one arm, held herself there, hovering, and then eased herself slowly down, again and again, first one arm, then the other. Her sack of rocks was so heavy now that an ordinary person groaned trying to lift it, but for Claire it was easy. She swung it onto her back each day and wore it while she tended the garden or gathered the herbs. She ran up and down the hill path with a sack on her back and another on her arms. Steep, rutted places that had once made her stumble and slip were now familiar and easy. He had her run path at, had her run the path at night. Things felt different in the dark. She trained her feet and hands to know the shapes of things, and her mind descends when she neared an edge and must back away, lest she fall. He wanted to blindfold her so that she could practice the dark in daytime. But she said no. I'll do it at night, even in the middle of the night when there's no moon and when it's bitter cold, but I can't have something tied over my eyes. It's like being on the sea. It's a fearsome memory that I can't... She turned away and couldn't finish, but he seemed to understand. You must learn the dark, though, he told her. Part of the climbing out will be in the dark. You'll start before the sun comes up. Why? It's too long a climb to do it all in daylight. If you wait and go at dawn, at sunup, then the dark part will come near the top. You'll be making your way up and around places where a mistake will bring death on you. I'll teach you to feel every bit with your feet, but even so you'll need your eyes as you near the top. Together they looked up at the shadowy cliff. Claire had to lean back to see the top. Miss swirled there and she could see the hawk circling. He had said he would teach her to feel with her feet, and after some time she became aware, amused by it, that even her toes were supple now. With astonishment, she realized that she could perceive the smallest of pebbles and pick them up, if need be, with individual toes. She could grasp a twig between the third and fourth toe on her left foot, or carefully feel her way around the sharp edge of a flat rock by her big right toe, which was as sensitive now as a fingertip. She told this to Enar with delight. Imagine that, she said, toes! He nodded in agreement, but looked sad. What's wrong, she asked him, but he turned away and didn't reply. Guiltily, she realized it had been cruel to be so gleeful over the strength and agility of her feet to someone who had lost his own.